Hi, I'm Cliff Saren and welcome to a special edition of the Computer Weekly Downtime Upload Podcast. My special guest today is James Hatch, who works for BAE Systems. James, uh, just to start, would you mind giving our audience a little bit of background about yourself and, uh, yeah, and, and some history about you know, how, you've, uh, how you've ended up at BAE Systems, please? Oh, thanks, Cliff. Hi. Um, yes, I'm James Hatch. I'm Chief Digital Officer of BAE Systems Digital Intelligence. And Digital Intelligence is an organisation that we uh, set up with, uh, within BA Systems Group at the start of 2022, brings together 4,800 people across the kind of cyber, data, intelligence and space disciplines, really to give us a, a focus on uh, this subject of digital advantage that we're going to talk about a little bit today. Uh, my background uh, before taking on this role, I spent about 10 years running our um, cyber services hmm. within BA Systems. And so uh, I come at the subject of digital advantage and digital transformation very much from that world of being used to having things secure and trying to make them uh, trying to make them faster and more uh, more modern. <laughs> that seems quite challenging. Uh, let, let's start with the digital advantage. Uh, I mean, is that the same as digitization? What is the definition of digital advantage? Well, there's something we're trying to get at here, which which in which we've um, uh, supported with this this survey, which was um, amongst high trust sectors, by which I mean those organisations for whom uh, their output is something that society depends upon. Um, there has been a challenge in terms of achieving the full potential of digital technology and practices, and I think that the thing that's um, uh, that's made that difficult has been combining traditional digital journey and digital transformation with the constraints and, and the special requirements of being a high trust organization. And what we're really trying to get at is that actually the, I think what's becoming clear now is that the, uh, it's, it's not an optional thing. Um, we are in a position where you know, our adversaries, whether those be in you know, crime or nation states or whatever, or economic um, competitors are, are going through uh, a fairly rapid progression of digital transformation mm. and something that I think has come out of what we've done, we've done in our survey is, is there's a real appetite to do that within the high trust sectors within the UK um, and so we're just trying to look at what what are the barriers that stop us doing that and how does it uh, how can we address those. Um, James are you able to share some data from the survey uh, in terms of what what's the adoption or what's the appetite for digital transformation or digital advantage and how much emphasis is being put on security and securing those um, developments, those projects? Yeah, and, and I'm sure we can provide a, um, a link to the, to the fuller details. I'll pull out a couple of, of headlines. I mean, to me, uh, it's really encouraging that across uh, the, the sectors we spoke to, across the high trust sectors, there's a very high level of commitment to this um, to this to this change and to this to progress in terms of use of digital technologies and practices 85 percent of our respondents said that it was essential to their business that they uh, maximize the advantage of, of digital technology and practices to achieve digital advantage yes uh, and 
the one thing that was that was higher than that was 97% of people saying that uh, uh, there was significant barriers to achieving that. So I think that's that, that really reflects the importance of addressing specifically the challenges to adoption of um, digital technology and practices amongst high trust sectors. Mm. I guess before we should before we go on, I should say that there will be a link to. Uh, that research and uh, we'll also have in the article accompanying the podcast uh, some of the data as well that we're, we're, we're discussing today so uh, just that's just for so everyone knows that that's what's happening uh, so um, what do you see are the main barriers in terms of for tech innovation what's stopping people actually getting getting this done well I think this is I think this is really significant because the the uh, there's sometimes an attitude that those sectors that are further behind on their digital journey are further behind because they're somewhat, in some sense, don't get it or they're Luddites or whatever. I think there's something really specific going on here, which is uh, what I call the, the, the double challenge. We know that digital transformation is quite a hard thing to do anyway, with all kinds of stats about so what portion of digital transformation programs, digital initiatives succeed and fail. Um, but to do that in an organization with particular high trust requirements at the same time requires you to to achieve kind of two sets of goals at the same time. So that is fundamentally more difficult than doing it in a uh, in a sector with less control and regulation and and, 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 and so mm. forth around that. What are the main barriers to tech innovation? Now, broadly, it comes to three areas. Uh, the the first of those is around people, uh, the skills that you need to undertake this form of digital translation transformation in high trust sectors, you need to have both the digital skills and the full understanding of, of the constraints and challenges that are operating at high trust requires. And that's quite a rare combination. Yes. The second category is around uh, technology and its relationship to the organizations, the approaches to innovation, um, attitudes to security and uh, ways of ways of managing organisations and the projects within them and the, and the delivery within them. And then the third category is the, the kind of rather straightforward and blunt requirements of data in, in high trust sectors, where there's often uh, classification, regulation and other constraints that really uh, make it more complicated and more difficult to undertake some of the things that you would be wanting to do. Uh, I mean, one of the things that I read from the research is that um, there seems to be a lack of confidence in digital capabilities. Why is there a need, do you think, for organisations to completely overhaul the ability to innovate those organisations that operate in high trust sectors, that is? Yeah, it's it's because the world doesn't stand still um, mm. and the the context and environments within, within which people are operating uh, are changing and uh, the, the the way in which the best way to to tackle that is by is through innovation and through improving the productivity of and delivery of of these organizations by maximizing the use of digital technology and practices and that is uh, it, you talk about the lack of confidence. I think it's quite encouraging, though, because I think what we're seeing is a change in um, the recognition of the need and importance of this amongst high trust sectors over the last couple of years. So I feel there's a high level of commitment and people are just adjusting their understanding of, of what that means 
both in terms of their kind of broad organizational capabilities and specifically on things like innovation and and delivery approaches. Mm. I think there's, um, from what Computer Weekly has covered in the past, uh, there does seem to be a bit of a tug of war between the security on the one side and the ability to use software to innovate on the other side. How do you think that is being addressed? I, I, I've absolutely, I've been, I've been right in the middle of that tug of war. In fact, probably <laughs> on both sides of it over the, over the last uh, few years yeah. from my change of role. And um, first of all, it's, it's, it's human and cultural, that tug of war. Uh, there, there are assumptions and mindsets that are built into to, to people's jobs and careers about what is the right way to do things, and uh, that really, that really, you have to find common ground before you can make significant progress. I've done work in engineering sectors where there's safety critical um, considerations, and where, for in the digital world. You, one of the most important things to do is to keep your, keep your systems up to date and patched, mm. which means changing them regularly and making changes to them. Whereas in the safety critical engineering world, there's a starting point of a known good baseline um, and changes that baseline require high uh, high levels of assurance and, uh, and a long time to take. So I, I think the key thing is to get the, the, those two communities and groups to a stage where they understand and respect the requirements and the challenges that each side of that tug of war that you're talking about are trying to deal with and recognize that those are kind of joint challenges and it's no good uh, it's no good being safe if you're if you're uh, not secure because security undermines safety and, and there's no good being secure if you're not productive and innovative and able to move mm. uh, quickly because you then won't be able to achieve the outcomes that your organization is trying to achieve Yes, yes. Um, I think one of the things that um, I wanted to ask you, James, is about when it's all very well being secure in your own world. You know, you have this firewall. Not that people use firewalls that much anymore, but they do. But the idea of you, you've got this physical firewall around your organisation and no one's going to get in and no one's going to get out kind of thing. But that doesn't reflect reality. And in reality, you have... Uh, complicated uh, supply chain you you need to call on services externally then you need to share data and resources uh you know both internally and and externally uh, and that is part of i guess uh, digitization how does that fit alongside being a, a high trust organization I think it's. I think it's. Uh, it's. It's kind of different. The other side of the same coin. It's. You know, within cybersecurity, in my previous role, we've seen that shift in approach uh, mm. through the 2010s from a very much a, a perimeter defended approach to, in more mature organisations, a kind of continuous process yes. of, of defending an organisation, both in terms of, of dealing with change, in terms of dealing with threats, and and in terms of dealing with activities and incidents and. Mm. Mindset was one of defining 
the solution, defining the, the needed capability and technology, building it and stopping it. Whereas the digital mindset um, is about having a continuous changing um, process that keeps you up to date and keeps you competitive, uh, both in terms of you know, with, with, with peers and in face of adversities. Yes. And so, yeah, fundamentally a shift from a kind of program mindset to a pipeline mindset. Mm. And I think that applies to cybersecurity and to innovation and to productivity, having that, that um, change towards being always working on it, but having built in place the organizational capability, the pipelines, whether that be development DevOps type pipelines or in terms of handling security, um, in order to be able to just keep dealing with the challenges as they arise and keep moving forward. Okay. Um, I mean, there is <clears throat> there is this people challenge, which, you know, I think we've, you've been touching on and we've been discussing. Uh, I mean, there is also the fact that, <clears throat> I mean, innovation that happens outside of your organisation, and I'm, I'm talking specifically about things that take place in the open source community and how you can take advantage of that stuff and yet it can still be used in a secure manner. Have you had much experience of that? Uh, or, and do you have any advice for our audience? Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's an, an important role for organisations like ours, the digital industry partners with working with high trust uh, customers is to provide that kind of gateway for uh, commercial technology, including open source technology, to be used in, in, in higher trust environments. Mm. It's entirely doable, but it does require you to be set up to manage it. It requires you to have uh, your development processes, your assurance processes, your gateway of gating, gating of technology to be current and rec recognise mm. the, both the challenges and the opportunities and the needs that are necessary uh, to make most of it. You know, we, we, we've, we're certainly past the time when those working in secure government and defence and all sectors like that could sit behind a behind a barrier and go right well we'll produce our own version of this we'll compete yeah. with the uh, innovation in the, in the market we have to make most of that technology but we have to there needs to be gatekeepers and facilitators who help that technology come in and um if need be adapt it and, and integrate it with other capabilities to, to be able to suit this particular needs of the sectors that okay i mean i i are you seeing much progress on that front outside of the uh, high trust sector? Um, well, it, it, it does vary. I mean, even in, you know, even in mainstream retail and financial services and so forth, there's, mm. there's, still, there's still barriers to using open source software because of the, uh, the, the confidence that's required and, and some of the regulations around um, what technology you can use, mm. but, so I, but, I, but I think it's. You know, I think we we we've we've probably passed the kind of peak hype on open source that it's going to change the everything and everything is going to go open source. We recognise that there's value in uh, enterprise software providers in terms of the the, the confidence and assurance and the um, contractual uh, weight that they can put behind their technology, but we are, I think, now kind of more into that steady state plateau where we will identify uh, pieces of technology, pieces of open source uh, software that can be used yes. um, 
and take advantage of those, mm. but in a kind of incremental way rather than rather than having to uh, jump with both feet out into, a, yeah. into an uncontrolled world, which is sometimes the way it has been positioned before. Oh, yeah, you just need to use all this stuff that's out there. Well, you, you can't really do that if you want to maintain high levels of assurance and compliance. From, from what you're saying, James, there, there, there seems to be... Uh... This seems to be very much focused on the high trust sector. What would you say are the main benefits to society as a whole? Well, I think we we sometimes see um, those kind of arcane and back office bits of government as if they as if they don't uh, they don't make a difference to uh, to the commercial sectors and wider society, but they really do. You know, they underpin it. They provide the uh, the security and the infrastructure and and the enabling services uh, that make society work. So if we can achieve digital advantage in these sectors, we can we can make ourselves a richer and safer society, and also by being more competitive at a national level, in, improve our global influence across mm. um, the technology sectors and and those that. Uh, connect with them, including uh, security and defence and, and, and government relations. Okay. I mean, do you think um, we in the UK need to put more emphasis on security skills? Do we have enough? Well, it's probably never cyber, enough, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's cyber security skills is, is, is one of those subsets within the STEM um, group that we always want more for, more of. Uh, I think there's some really good efforts going on with that. The, the, the National Cyber Strategy that the UK came out with earlier in the year has put a renewed focus on skills and capabilities um, and the setting up of uh, the uh, increasing formalisation of the of the career and profession of cybersecurity is, is going ahead in the UK. So I think that is recognised. Um, uh, but it is it is a requirement that uh, both both broad digital skills and cybersecurity skills particularly are are needs that are going to carry on growing and and so we're going to have to keep on working hard to keep up with that demand mm. do you know um well i mean i well, since i've been writing about this stuff and that's been quite a long time actually uh, we've seen you know various sort of it director type roles you know the chief information officer the chief information security officer um, most recently, the chief data officer, and some people are even talking about like the chief AI officer, but I don't, I don't believe that one. Now, the idea that there is someone who is focused on joining the dots, I don't think that really exists at the moment. I mean, I've spoken to people who are CTOs, chief technology officers, and they seem to have this broad um, sort of view of how the technologies fit together uh, but what you what you really want is that plus security so that you have you can you you know for for compliance governance where what you can achieve at the same time as the art of the possible that in a single role doesn't actually exist as far as i know no i think that's right it's it's um you know, it's it's strange, isn't it, the way that these job titles have changed? And you know, CIO, I believe, when it was first invented, was explicitly meant to be a very much a business role about information within a business. And and now, when you say CIO, people hear 
uh, IT director. I mean, it's, this is what I'm trying to do with with my role as, as uh, chief digital officer, although it's, um, it's still in development. Mm. I think the the big change is for digital technology, and I'm going to say digital technology rather than IT or computing. Yes. For digital technology is increasingly part of doing business rather than a back office function that supports the business. And I think it's that cutting across between um, you know, the kind of functional underpinning role of IT in most modern organizations with the delivery of um, outcomes to customers, whether those be citizens, customers, consumers, retailers, or uh, retail customers, or, um, or other organizations, that, that joining up back to front between the business and the technology that underpins it is, is I think, where that set of roles is going to have to, to change going forward. Yeah, maybe maybe it's one for an, another conversation, but perhaps we need to get rid of the the actual, you know, um, word technology from digital technology. Uh, um, you know, certainly uh, its association with IT and IT as in computers, hardware, and and software. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I was I was working through our plans for next year um, yesterday, and tools and technology was one of the four categories of, of um, uh, change that we need to, to look at, the other three being policy and process, people and skills and culture and leadership. You know, it's, it's probably about that proportion. It's about you know, 25% to do with the technology. Mm. And most of it is to do with um, how you organize yourself as a business and how you operate to take to maximize the use of that technology and to maximize the benefit of that technology, particularly that change from kind of program thinking defining an outcome and going and hitting it towards a pipeline thinking uh, where you set something up and continuously drive towards uh, a, a distant objective but making progress all the time. Okay. Well, James, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you very much. Um, thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>